Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. This episode contains full spoilers for the Blade itself. Okay, what is up first of the Magi, Maguses, Magi, whatever you want to call them. This is Steven and Jake going back in time a little bit to review the Blade itself by Joe Abercrombie. A little bit of history when Phantology was in its infancy, we reviewed the entire first trilogy, the first law trilogy first three books of Abercrombie's career. And we called that one episode and that episode actually did really well. But now that I've read the rest of Abercrombie and since we got Jake on board to start reading, we've always wanted to go back and recap the first three books individually, give them their just desserts. And this is now the time. So uh, Jake, thank you for finally picking up Abercrombie for it. It's been some it's there's been some urging right like it, it, it it's a bit of a history right yeah i mean there's been a lot of books on the plate i, I started malazan just a short time ago and that's been something that's pretty daunting on my list but yeah, that's um, af- after finishing gardens of the moon i switched it up and started reading um first law and, and that's a big difference in, in writing style and, and, big difference, and everything. Big difference, night but, and day. Yeah, I've enjoyed both so far. Yeah, and uh, we're not reviewing Gardens of the Moon. No, yeah. we, we, are, we have already covered that. I am reading Memories of Ice. I, I, uh, gosh, I need to really start getting into it. That's book three of Malazan. But anyway, The Blade itself. So I started reading Abercrombie. I also was, was late to the plate. I think Ryan was the first of Phantology to read Abercrombie. I started him in late 2019. And most of last year, I was just plowing through the Abercrombie books. And I'm going to say my top series, my top fantasy series, 1A and 1B are Stormlight and Wheel of Time. Uh, probably will be for, for some time. But s- sitting at, at number two spot, or I guess number three spot, whatever you want to call it, is Joe Abercrombie's first law books. Like I've really enjoyed reading through them. And I think in terms of just ability to write and make reading enjoyable, he does such a good job. Like his snappy writing and wit and dry British humor, I'd love it. And that's maybe just like, it really kind of appeals to me and and my humor style, but I really enjoy reading his books. Yeah. I mean, having just read the blade itself, I've, I've really enjoyed his prose. It, like you said, it's, it's like snappy and, it's very easy to read, but it still has a, like a prose quality to it as opposed to just like getting to the details as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a little bit of a song of ice and fire in terms of how it's, it's not super, it's not like a flowery writing, but it's uh-huh. very well constructed. Like it's still very artful in its. construction. Yeah. Yeah. Just the construction. I mean, down to the things I, <sighs> One thing I love about Abercrombie is his use of parallel structure 
and he does this from book to book and you'll see as you get further in but even like every character kind of has their mannerisms they have their little sayings that they always go back to glock does always like why do i do this again logan's always talking about the advice his father gave him about you know if you have a task that's worth doing you might as well just do it rather than live with the fear of it stuff Mm -hmm. like that i mean they all have such unique voices and I think it's, I'm going to describe it as British humor because Abercrombie's British and this seems to kind of be like this dry, uh, really uh, not taking anything seriously and making fun of yourself. Like he's, he, the whole time through, he's just kind of laughing at the way that he writes and uh, I I can't get enough of it. Like just, just listening uh, to the books and, and reading them is, is a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not deep into the Abercrombie list yet. Just I've only read this first one, but I did think some of the interactions when like Logan first meets Baez and mm-hmm. um, mainly interactions with Baez is giving me this kind of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy feel. If you've ever read okay. those books, I read the first one. Okay. Just kind of like the, this like abs- kind of absurd humor. I guess you could say that's like the British humor. Um, Mm-hmm. Two, two scenes in particular kind of have that feel for me one when logan first meets Baez and he's like scanning the room and he's like oh this must this can't be the wizard and it was like one of the servants and then he sees right. he basically looks like how you'd imagine gandalf and he's like this is the guy this is right 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 this has got to be Baez, the the magi that the spirits told me to meet and then he realizes it's the guy who just looks like the chef or something. I can't remember how they describe he's the him, butcher. But... He thinks he's oh, the, the butcher. butcher. Yeah. He thinks yeah. he's the butcher. Yeah. Um, and then also at the very end of the book, when Logan and Pharaoh are being chased by the other inquisitor people that get put mm-hmm. under blocked at the end. I can't remember their, their names anyways. Yeah. Like Vitari. She's a character Vitari, yeah, Vitari. later on. Yeah. Um, and then they, they escape them and they make it back to, uh, where Baez is staying and he's taking a bath and then they start to like they find them there and start to fight and he just comes out of the bath so mad that his that they're late and his bath has been interrupted and uh-huh. he just turns them into pink mist like just that whole interaction was uh, obviously a little darker but it d- had that uh like British humor vibes that you're yeah about. and when he first well not when he first meets Baez but when he first meets Kwai he sees yes. him and he's like, wait, you're a mage. Aren't you supposed to have a staff? Yeah. That's such yeah. a classic. Abercrombie does a great job of subverting a lot of tropes. And you'll see yeah. as you continue reading, but um, like right off, you know, the mage is supposed to have a staff and uh, Quai, why don't Quai you have him, Yeah. Quai himself seems like a, I know, such a funny character. This like earnest, kind of inept, probably abused by his master a little bit. Right. Like probably has more skill than his master gives him credit for, but no, like no spine <laughs> at all. So we'll get more into characters yeah. in a little bit. Obviously uh, we're doing full spoilers. We've already kind of talked about some things yeah. towards <laughs> the end of the book. So, uh, I mean, if you're familiar with the podcast at all, you know that we do that. Uh, if you like Phantology books, you can find more at www.phantologybooks.com and you can support the show at patreon.com slash underscore books. I had a few points that I wanted to bring about, up about Abercrombie because obviously yeah. I'm a huge fan. Uh, so let's talk about the, the Grimdark thing. So on Twitter, he goes by Lord Grimdark and he's kind of billed as like the, the big, I mean, Martin brought Grimdark up in, in popularity, yeah. obviously with Song of Ice and Fire. 
But Abercrombie's like, if anyone ever brings up Grimdark, his name is usually associated with it. But there's actually kind of some question marks around that because Abercrombie himself has said like, uh, he kind of regrets using Lord Grimdark as his Twitter handle and he doesn't necessarily want to be the Grimdark Uh, person. And, you know, there's definitely, uh, there's a lot of stuff in his book. There's a lot of violence. Uh, there's, There's some swearing, there's some content. But it's not like his books are all that dark. Like, definitely bad things happen, but uh, Grimdark is kind of a tricky thing to define sometimes. What did you think? I mean, you yeah. haven't read a whole lot of yeah, again, the I'm, darker I'm, fantasy, right? I'm, I'm super inexperienced with, with his stuff, so I, I can't say for, for all of it. But for just the Blade itself, I would not have categorized it as Grimdark myself. I saw when, when you sent me the notes for it, when that was on there, I was thinking like, is it like, like I would say a song of ice and fire for sure. Like that to me, I, that's kind of the epitome of grim dark. Okay. Um, and then I was trying to think like, well, like content wise, like it's, they're both, they're both violent. I mean, I'd still say um, game of Thrones is, is more violent so far. Um, but like the whole, I get Glockta's character and his background. That's where I think the most yeah, grim for dark sure. for passages sure. are, but I mean, the tone of the book seems a lot more light, not lighthearted, but like there's it's more just so humor. snarky the whole yeah, time. Through. Yeah. 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 It's, it's more of a, uh-huh. it's almost more humorous. Whereas game of Thrones, as soon, as soon as you get to the end of game of Thrones and uh, I guess, are we doing spoilers for something like Sapphire here? I, I won't go into it. It's uh-huh. there's, there's turning points when you realize, Oh, this is not a, like a, plot that is going to be good to any of my favorite this characters. is not a good guys win type of yeah, story yeah like there's yeah. Very, and there's there's very cruel people that are on top and and things like that where it's this one i can tell that there are a lot of great characters and i don't know if that's maybe a another defining feature of grimdark but mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i have to read more to really tell but i realized I need to find out what the definition of grimdark really is. Yeah, and we haven't. So we neither of us have read Mark Lawrence, who I know is another really popular grimdark. Uh, we just finished doing the Poppy War, and that's a really that's a really good one. Um, the Evan Winter books are good grimdark. Honestly, Phantology hasn't gotten super into that side of things, so we may be a little inexperienced here. Yeah, but. I I think there's something to be said for just the funny kind of, like you say, not lighthearted, but just the, it never takes itself too seriously, Abercrombie's yeah. books. So it kind of prevents you from ever feeling like too heavy or like deep in something that's that, going to give you a dark not, feeling. There's not like this oppressive atmosphere at this point, mm-hmm. at least. Whereas I've read other fantasy books that have that um, most of the characters in game of thrones have this feel to their their arcs and um uh, even like i'm i'm in the middle and the beginning of dead house gates right now and i'd say mm-hmm. a lot of malazan has that kind of feel to it as well where hope isn't taken for granted and you know it's yeah it's a little more oppressive of an atmosphere so okay so maybe that's how we are defining grimdark yeah. at this juncture of the podcast or at least yeah. of Phantology's existence. We're saying it's uh, hope is hard to come by. The good guys aren't necessarily going to win. We don't think they're going to win. And it's just like hyper realistic is how I've heard it described. Yeah. 
where it's not always the, these messages of like, you know, love and hope prevail. Sometimes it's like life happens and often life is going to happen in a bad way for you. Yeah. And, and again, like all that is still present in the blade itself. Like, um, like with Glockta a little bit with Logan, mainly his like backstory and his Mm -hmm. internal monologue thinking about like what he's done and how it's gotten him to where he's at now and how he's changed a little bit, but it's just the, the overall feel of the book. It just doesn't, I don't feel grim <laughs> while reading it. And I I've started rereading. I'm going to get, I'm getting excited for wisdom of crowds, which is several books away from, for you. Yeah. This is the 10th <laughs> book in the first law sequence. So you have a few more, but that's coming out in September. I'm going to do a reread before then. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about the action or no, Let's talk about characters. Let's talk about the character voices specifically. So uh, I have a few notes on the characters. We can talk about significant plot points, whatever you, whatever kind of stood out for you. I think we'll kind of get into some other uh, things that I wanted to discuss. So we have our three mains and then we have our three kind of minor points of view, the Logan, Glockta, and Jazal. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you'll see that I'm more dressed in a Jazal manner. Jake's in the Logan <laughs> attire. And then there was also uh, viewpoints for West and Pharaoh and Dogman and Dog the Man, yeah. yeah and the crew up there. Okay, so between uh, let's start with our main ones between Logan, Glockta, and Jazal. Who did you like the most? Who was the most compelling? Um, Glockta, and I think that's probably a pretty universal choice. It just seems like it's pretty universal, at least for this first book. Glockta has the most. Mm-hmm. I feel like you really get to feel for, for him. Like you have, you like pity him, but you're also like, wait, should I be pitying him? Because right. he's kind of doing the same things that were done to him. You know, it's right, kind of like right, this, right. It's this good. It's a very well written, a great character, and he, yeah. and you can tell he's like someone who is was very intelligent, who has now been limited in his physical circumstances, and it frustrates him. But in his only, like one of his only recourses is this humor and the torture he does. And it's interesting to see how that, how he uses that as his outlet. And this self-loathing he has yeah. for himself that you get the, the internal dialogue, I yeah. think for Glockton makes the character. It's so brilliant because the whole time, if there's ever a conversation he has with someone else, he's always like internally mocking them as he mm-hmm. talks to them. It's just yeah. funny throughout, but in such a dark, yeah, this, yeah, this also is the perfect way. Yeah. yeah, but it, but it's the humor that's dark. So it's, it, it almost catches you off guard. You're like, oh, that was funny. Uh-huh. And you're like, wait, what am I laughing at here? <laughs> he's like, he's chopping off fingers, but it's yeah. funny. <laughs> and I, I listened to it. And for those who have listened to the audiobook, I think the, the performance is amazing. And especially with Glockta, I feel like this might be one of the reasons I like Glockta so much mm-hmm. as a character so far is he has this lisp from having his teeth removed. So when he speaks, the narrator will speak in this lisp, but then when yes. it's this internal monologue of him mocking them or him like planning and trying to outmaneuver people, it goes back to just normal speech. And I thought that was uh-huh. such a cool way to, di- first of all, to distinguish for the listeners what's internal, what's not, because you don't have the italics to cue you in, but also to show that kind of how other people will hear him in this way. And I assume this is like, 
they kind of like underestimate him. There's points of view from Giselle where he's obviously like, oh, what a pitiful mm-hmm. creature, like disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just a really cool juxtaposition of he's his physical limitations make other people kind of underestimate him. But on the inside, like he's this super capable and cunning creature. So Stephen Pacey is the is audiobook the, narrator. Yeah. yeah. He's Amazing. fantastic. Yeah. He, he's the best audiobook narrator for at least for fantasy books uh, that I've ever heard. So what else, what go- else does he goat. do? What else does he do? He does theater. He, he, he's oh, uh, a, a performance. Oh, other audiobooks? I have no idea. Okay. He probably does others, but yeah, if you're, I mean, one of the best career moves that Abercrombie made was getting Pacey on board. I have no idea yeah. how that partnership started, but he adds so much to the books. Fantastic. I, uh, I only really know Michael Kramer and Kate Reading from my love of Wheel of Time and uh-huh. Sanderson. Like those are the only not audiobook narrators that I know the names of, but the performance is so good and the blade itself that it makes me want to to pick books based off of the narrator. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would absolutely. So Galacta starts out, you know, you get this description of like you say kind of horribly crippled uh and he he pities himself right away. You know, he starts with kind of this dark humor. He talks about how he if there was one person he could kill, it'd be the inventor of the stairs. Yeah. As he goes down the the dungeon uh, to torture someone, right? And then right and then to uh, kind of get back to the parallel structure the way Abercrombie does this, he then like later in that chapter says, if there's one person I could shake the hand of, it would be the inventor of chairs. And he sits down in the in the chair and things yeah. like that, just like such a small thing, but just make it so enjoyable to read for me i just love those little details to the prose and it, and it just brings the characters to life so well like they're so fully realized and like i don't they just seem so multi-dimensional and it's not just oh this is going to be the the cunning inquisitor character this is going to be the barbarian mm-hmm. this you know what i mean they're not they're not so stereotypical they're very um nuanced and i think honestly i think the characters are probably the the best aspect of this book yeah yeah i would say throughout all of abercrombie's books characters are Mm -hmm. are really the shining beacon um one cool thing about the characters is his series i mean i'll just tell you a little bit about the series this without any spoilers but the series kind of follow over not generations but as you go from one series to the next years pass and you have some characters reappearing uh, you know, as, as the years have, have passed on and then you have some uh, younger characters who are related to other characters, a lot of minor characters become more important later on. So you want to kind of like watch different people and there's a lot of familial relations. And so even characters that are pretty minor, like, uh, like the Salem Ruse guy at the beginning here, like he's someone to watch for later on, potentially, or Teufel, the mess. Inter- interrogated yeah salem ruse is the guy at the very beginning the very beginning yeah yeah, yeah. the fat yeah. guy who they go yeah. in and he's part of the mercer's guild and then you have like teufel the master of the mints who they go and arrest and glockta chops off parts of his finger like there, there's just i'm not going to say any spoilers but there's some relations yeah. and some other guises that these characters then uh you know become important in 
that's fun because there's so many like little Easter eggs almost that he's planted mm-hmm. throughout his series. So if you read really closely, then you'll enjoy like, Hey, you know, that's the same guy here. Or that's, you know, that's this character's father or sister, brother, whatever. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, we will go more into the the plot, I guess, and action and stuff, but those were kind of weaker elements to me, but the characters more than made up for it where I'm excited to continue reading about them. Yeah. So let's talk about the plot. So the plot wasn't your favorite, it sounds like. You know, I just felt like nothing really happened. It just felt uh-huh. like, like, it's like if I can 400 convince... pages, or four or 500 <laughs> pages that went by great characters. Uh, what did they do again? <laughs> like if I could condense it, it was like, oh, is that like the prologue and the first chapter of a book? Like if I condense mm-hmm. all the action that happened, you have people meeting up and basically the fellowship is coming together to start on an adventure and then uh-huh. and then the book ends lots i mean there's yeah the world the characters number one the world is very interesting to me i'm really intrigued and i want to know more about all these things that are brought up and some hints and so that's another thing that's propelling me forward and the little hints of what the plot could be are very intriguing and have hooked me and so i want to see what their adventure turns out to be Mm-hmm. but so like I enjoyed every minute of listening to the book but at the end I was like wait nothing nothing happened like the climax was a fight yeah. sequence yeah and that's about it and the, and there was like no other action really before that yeah it was all kind of revolving around the duel for a while or the contest not the duel the yeah. contest that Giselle was in and yeah. then there was this mystery on Baez you know the the Magus right. shows up they talk about this Magus who's going to come and take a seat back on the council and he's up with Logan and there's some lots of rumors of war that are happening, yeah, but yeah. No, none of those things. Yeah. Like you say, none of those things really happen in, in this book. Lots of things are hinted at and I'm, I'm trying to compare it to other things I've read that are where the first books are more of set up. I'd say game of Thrones is like that. The first book is, is mostly set up, but okay. there are some really, there are some really shocking things that happen in game of thrones from a different a few different plot lines and it's really game of thrones it's the political intrigue and that's happening nonstop. and so that i feel like that's most of the action in the book is that political intrigue and trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what this mystery is and this one didn't really have all that like you mentioned the contest to me the way it was mentioned i thought the contest would be i thought it'd be like over very quickly and it wasn't super long but i did not think of it as this being a main event of the book until after I finished it. Yeah, that's fair. That's it fair. didn't, it wasn't built up to be super important from my point of view. I'll say, I'm not going to say what these things are, but I'll say that on my reread, on my review here, mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of little seeds for later in the series that are planted in uh-huh. this book that as a first time reader, I would not expect you to pick up on. Like maybe as you're reading, you're like, oh, that's interesting. What does this mean exactly? But he does a really good job. And I think it's because I believe he wrote all three books together for the most part. So he's able to plot things together. And uh, there's some there's some good payoffs later on for sure. It does have that feel to it. Like I said, I, I don't think anyone would not enjoy reading the book, but I don't think you should focus on so much on the action. It feels like, a larger plot was written and then it was parceled to be kind of more digestible. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about some of those seeds then. 
Okay. So for me, some of the things, some of the seeds that I thought were interesting that make me want to go forward. Um, and I guess using the seed is a little ironic. Right. Right. So this, first of all, first of all, let's talk about what I could see. Like the main thing being for at least the next book is them, the fellowship that is created, taking the seed that Baez got from the tower of what's it called? The house of the maker, the house of the maker. Yes. Um, and they need to bring that somewhere and something to do with bringing magic back into the world. So, and I assume that has to do or, or strengthening the magic. I mean, there is magic, but strengthening uh-huh. okay. magic. Okay. Um, it's been mentioned a few times, like magic is leaving bias is like, yeah, I'm not as powerful yeah. as I used to be, but he says something like, uh, well, not, you know, magic's a little bit harder to do, but uh, we have other means of getting what we need. Right. Yeah. And, and they talked about the first and second laws. Mm-hmm. The first is don't talk to devils. The yeah. second is don't eat the flesh of men. Yeah which don't eat the flesh of men. They talk about the, the flesh eaters, which they mm-hmm. somehow get power from eating the flesh of men. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it's from eating specific people or if any, it's anybody or, or what's going okay. on there. But so I assume still, the, it's, yeah, f- fair. It's yeah. pretty vague for you after one yeah. week. Yeah. I assume the seed is going to be something that opens some sort of portal to the demonic realm or something like okay. that. Okay. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm assuming that goes, but overall just hints of things that have been laid out that are interesting to me, the, the Shanka things from the beginning, how they're more populous in the North. Yeah. What's up with the Shanka? They're basically like orcs, right? Like they're just this thing that's causing trouble. Yeah. I had to look up um, pictures of them and I really like the, the gorilla type vibes I've been getting from the, the art online. Um, but yeah, they're kind of they're kind of like an an orcish thing. Also, kind of like White Walkers in the sense that they're in the north, but I guess they're everywhere. They they say they're they're all over in the world, but we see them mostly in the north. The, yeah, yep, yep, that's fair. Uh huh. So that's like again, like the threat of some animal, some force overtaking the north, and then okay. we have um, Pharaoh's background is really interesting. The fact that mm-hmm. she heals so quickly, so she. She's got, yeah, she's got something to her biases. He needs her yeah. for some reason on the journey. D- he doesn't say why, right? No, he doesn't. My, okay. my thought is she's somehow connected to the other realm. Like maybe that's how she has powers. So he might, I don't know, need her for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I thought. What about her backstory with uh, Kalul and the Gurkish and, and all that? Like, this looming conflict and they're trying yeah. to take over Degaska. And at the end, Glockta is sent to Degaska, probably a bad yeah. place to be. Yeah. So there's the, the overall instability of the world where the union is its own thing. They, they allude to a war in the past against the Gurkish empire and the Gurkish empire isn't really that big anymore, but tensions are rising there. You have the, mm-hmm. the men of the North declaring a King and wanting to retake England and, And so there's all this like political and military instability going on Mm -hmm. as well as whatever magical quest Baez has. How did that play out for you? Because you mentioned Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, Intrigue as kind of the the pinnacle of Intrigue, at least in your opinion. How does this compare? Again, these were just like seeds. Like this is like part of the world building and potential Mm -hmm. plot foretellings that were happening that... I really liked it as world building and I really want to know more about this world. I 
the whole fact that there's like the other plane with like demons or whatever and that's how that's something to do with the magic they've only really hinted out i'm not sure exactly right. how that works but i think that's really cool and it's it's pretty unique compared to other um modern fantasy stories that's a different way to to do that so they've hinted at that and then they've also hinted at this whole thing with you know the maker and juvens yeah. and the and the yeah. magus the maguses magi whatever the plural is yeah what whatever's going on with bias maybe yeah. what's going on with bias <laughs> what's I mean, your take on him i mean he's like a legendary figure like allegedly a legendary figure coming back mm-hmm. to take his his spot and so part of me is like wait how old is he then if he's considered so legendary that people don't think he really exists anymore right and it sounds like he's like two or maybe just one person removed from the maker according to the legends like the if i remember right the maker had two apprentices or kids i don't know if they're sons or apprentices and then Baez like studied under one of them and the other one rebelled against the maker honestly i would need to brush up a little bit that's that's an Abercrombie thing that wasn't my favorite. Like I always kind of want a little more of the lore and it is yeah. defined, but not enough to where looking back at the first trilogy, like I can't remember exactly how mm. all that shakes out. But, but yeah, so the, the war thing has got me interested for the future. Glockta and Wes' sister, what's her name? You mean Giselle and Artie? No, I mean Glockta. Oh, Glockta. At the at the end when West asks Glockta to watch over Artie and they like yeah. bond over um, the fact that they're both kind of limited by the way okay. society okay. them, but they're I feel like I don't I mean, I don't know how like Aber- Abercrombie is as an author and like I don't know what's like standard, but I feel like there's some sort of alliance that could happen there, like whether she she ends up marrying Giselle and then has like some then she would have power, you know? I feel like her and Glockta are going to scheme together more or something like that. I okay. don't know. At first, I thought there was like a hint of romance, but I don't know. It didn't really seem like that. Okay, good, okay. What do you think of the Giselle and Adi romance? It, it just seems like she's using him. I, I mean, maybe she likes him okay, but it seems more like, I need a way out of my terrible life and mm-hmm. and she's smart enough to know how to manipulate him and if she could then I feel like the way I saw it going is maybe that's how she gets out and then she like will have real power and I don't know I thought it was such a great way to introduce Giselle's character you know make him this up-and-coming nobleman yeah. and he's you know he's, he's fairly pompous but he's got a lot of virtues and then throw in this basically farm girl right but instead of her being starstruck by him he cannot yeah. he's tongue-tied around her which yeah. kind of exposes a lot of his shortcomings but also propels him to greater heights because he was about to just kind of be a loser and and resign from the contest and you know, things are yeah. too hard and she inspires him kind of uh, not even meaning to their their relationship it's not good but uh you know at least the way that they play the the way that abercrombie plays them off each other really helps the plot yeah yeah Yeah, she yeah like you said that's a great kind of inversion there instead of like oh i'm this peasant girl i'm falling for this beautiful lord it's i Mm -hmm. loved how 
he's super cocky. He's kind of like a, he reminds me of a, I don't know. I've said too much about Game of Thrones and the song Ice of Fire, but he kind of, he's like <laughs> a, he's like a Jamie character, like a young okay. Jamie at the tournaments, maybe a Sir Loris character where he's okay. like, okay. where basically, I mean, personality wise, he's not really like Jamie, but um, just how he's like super talented with his um, combat abilities, but he hasn't really had to ever try in his life because of his, the privilege and his skill mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. And it was so fun to see him be so arrogant and then just completely like lose control and be manipulated by her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What did you think of the whole contest? Uh, I guess it was somewhat of a climax, right? Once you get into the climax, then they switch points yeah. of view around. You have all your characters kind of coming together. Logan and Baez are there wagering. You have Glockta there watching. Wes, they're, they're all there for... I want to say that's the first time all the characters are actually, they're not directly interacting with each other, but yeah. that's when all the threads come together. Yeah, I think it is. I thought it was fun. I Did you think he was going to win? Um, I didn't. I thought, I mean, I thought he was going to lose until he, the interference because well, he would have lost otherwise. Yeah. Right? Cause, yeah. Cause Gost would have taken him down. That's another character. Uh, the guy he lost to Bremer Den Garst. Yeah. Yeah. Gost. I can never pronounce his name right. Uh, but he he's gonna you know he'll be important later on as yeah well. i going into the contest i thought it was gonna be yeah he's gonna win and then you know it'll be like Artie, you helped me win blah blah mm-hmm. but then they they've really focused on gost is that his name they really focused on him and how he had this different technique and then as soon as glockta was like this is going to be the new way of of dueling in the future i was like oh he's probably gonna lose because Giselle is going to lose be, just because I feel like oh, that, sure. that was the hint of um, people are underestimating this other character. Yeah. And, and, you know, Glockta is really clever. He's usually yeah. right up yeah, until exactly. this point. He's always kind of outmaneuvered everyone. Yeah. But get? then when Baez wagers on him, right. That's when you knew it was over. Yeah. Yeah. And then Baez wagers on him. Yeah. Then, yeah. That, I don't know. So there's, there were a lot of things going on. I don't remember like what, if Glockta was talking first and then Baez wagered or vice versa. But I remember like feeling conflicted. I'm like, Glockta's really smart, but then Baez is doing this. So speaking of Baez, or yeah, Baez getting involved. So at the end, he talks to Giselle's dad who definitely recognizes him. I'm mm. just not sure why Baez made Giselle win. And I'm not sure if this is a big plot point anyways, but my thoughts were maybe he made him win. So that way he would join him on his journey. But Giselle, like he could have lost and then he could have been like, hey, why don't you join us? We could use you yeah, and yeah. kind of embarrass yourself here anyways. Like, I don't really see that being super necessary. So maybe he did it just to, as either a favor to his father or to show his father, hey, you owe me even more or something like that. Because the father didn't seem too pleased to see Baez. So I'm, I'm interested in what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what Baez's motivations there were. That, no, yep. that's, that's a good moment that's a good yeah. moment that you picked out and definitely something to watch okay and uh that's all i'll say for now okay one thing okay we're kind of jumping all over the place but another thing we're um that i have this theory so my first theory was with glockta and Artie that there's some sort of alliance gonna happen there okay and i, I don't know enough of the pol- the politics of the world to know like what that would be i mean in the whole the whole investigation that glockta has been kind of a part of I feel like there's much more to be seen there 
like, I hope we get more, look more into the bankers and stuff like that in the next one. And mm-hmm. sorry, side note, were the, were all the confessions valid? That was one thing I wasn't sure on part of the times. Cause you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're torturing people, sometimes they just say whatever you want. Yeah. To, yeah. Like whatever, whoever's torturing you wants you to say, you're just going to say it to get it over uh-huh. with. So it seemed like everything pieced together well because once you got to the very end with the guy who jumped off the building like he basically admitted everything so right they were at least vaguely right with their assumptions but i'm still curious whether any like 100 percent of the um confessions were uh-huh. actually uh-huh. yeah that legitimate. probably another thing to be curious okay. about so so that guy he drops some hints I yeah. don't remember that guy's name, the the leader of the Mercers, either. right? After the after yeah. the Mercers lose their trade license after Galacta's taken him down, then he says, "Oh, that that guy's name is Cult." I think actually, I have that in my notes. Um, he says there's further treason at Valentin Balk, yeah. which is some kind yeah. of that's the bank, banking, yeah, right? That uh, Galacta is now suspicious about at the university. There's something going on in the closed council. There's something going on. So some good seeds of intrigue for yeah. you, for sure. I'm excited for Glock to, to do, his, do his own investigation and then, you know, kind of go more independent in his investigation. And now that he's in Degasca, he probably will. Yeah. He's out of the, you know, out of the thumb of Salt and, yeah. and all of the, the politics there. So, but of course, he's got the backdrop of a literal war that's coming to mm-hmm. Degasca. So he's got, Glock is always put in terrible positions and it's interesting because as you're reading, you as a reader are asking the same question that he is asking himself, which is why is he doing this? Like, why yeah. <laughs> is this something that he likes to do? And he, I don't know that he necessarily likes it, but it's almost as if we're supposed to conclude that he's got nothing else. And I mean, so- it really, that's really what it is, right? Like this is, this was the job, the only job he could really take after escape did he escape or was he set free i don't remember if they he was set started. free at the end of the war set free okay uh, but this was like basically the only thing he could do and he's kind of just decided i'm good at it this is all i can do so i'm just gonna mm-hmm. like try to ascend the ladder to be in a place of kind of glory again i i loved his interaction with Baez as well when the intruder that impersonated logan's wife or whatever the apparition whatever it was came and then right and he's investigating up at their yeah. destroyed yeah that was so fun because i like you're rooting you feel like you're rooting for both characters Baez and glockta mm-hmm. and just how snarky glockta is with his like investigation and then everything subsequently from there where he's like coming to the realization that it couldn't be anything other than magic but also that's ridiculous so i need to really like Right. dig in to figure out how I'm being duped here. Right, right. And no one really takes Baez seriously, which yeah. is a mistake. But uh, Glockta is really kind of the first one who's like, okay, there's obviously something more than just mm-hmm. you're an imposter. Everyone else seems to want to believe that Baez yeah. is an imposter and therefore we'll just you know ignore him or, or brush him off and he'll go away. But Glockta is the only one who's... he's you know the whole time he's smarter than everyone else yeah he's super skeptical and the other people are skeptical as well but they're like stuck in their own biases and whereas glockta is more he's skeptical of everyone and everything but he's willing to for that reason he's like willing to entertain 
mm-hmm. every possibility as well because of that. And he's got, he's never got anything to lose. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's some mutual respect gained between Baez and Glockta when they go to the house of the maker. What's it called? Yeah. Tower of yeah, the maker. No, the, yeah, the, the House of the Maker. House of the Maker. We did, yeah. uh, on, on Discord, we did a Meme Friday thing. That's something we do every now and then. And our uh, the, the inspiration was the weekend halftime show meme where he's gone through the Backstage maze. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever it was. And he's just like looking around and, and uh, confused and lost. And one of the top, one of my favorites was you know, the, the caption was here they are in the house of the maker trying to figure out what's going on in this bizarro world. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool, that was cool as well. Again, I wish there was just more time spent there, but going something, uh, another theory I have where, where Glockta is investigating Baez, um, later, later they move and then they find the, a disfigured, um, corpse outside yeah, of Logan's partially, room. Partially eaten. Yeah, partially eaten, uh-huh. and they can't identify the body. And some sort of it said it was like a. Did they say a? No, it was a human who ate it, which obviously is alluding to the the second law, right? Like right, and There's the, a, yeah, the yep. flesh eaters or whatever that were chasing after Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. But they never say who the body was, and I think they did say the guy said he thought it could have been a younger man, and. Okay. So my theory is that it was quiet. This, this was my theory while reading it and it didn't pan out, but I'm, I'm holding on that maybe it'll pan out in the next book because I was like, okay. oh, Kwai is going to be revealed at the end. Like the climax is going to be who they think is Kwai is actually this. He was some eater imposter sent, thing. Yeah, okay. sent to uh, get biased. Hmm. But nothing really happened there. There, I still think there's like some hints, like Kwai basically is like pushing to the background after... I don't know if it's really after that scene though, or if it's just once they're in. Quite the a, he's a big enigma. Yeah. I think you're right to be suspicious there. He, there, he just seems like an oddball. I'm really excited for when I read, um, what's the next book called? Next book is uh, Before They Are Hanged. Before They Are Hanged. I'm excited for when I read that and see how many of these crackpot theories I have that uh-huh. just go nowhere. We'll have to address those in the future. <laughs> Definitely. These are always fun for me to do. I think those are, those are the main seeds that got me interested in the, the future and um little theories i have that i want to see if i'm somewhat on the right spot okay what about logan we didn't talk about logan yeah very much so he starts off up in the north meets up with uh Baez, meets up with with uh bethod and calder and scale and Kareb. Uh, can i i can never pronounce her name either there's a few tricky ones. And then they come to Adjua. I think the scene where they arrive in Adjua is really fun for me because, uh, okay, I'm not going to tell you why. But if you've read further okay. into the series, uh, <laughs> there, this, is a, this is a fun one. You'll, you'll know why. Uh, one of Dang, my I have, I have like no real memory of them arriving. Like I knew, like I know they arrived, but I, don't, I can't remember any details from that scene. So I don't know if I'll really catch on why that's important, but um. See. Yeah, once you read a little hatred, I'll uh, uh, let me know if you. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, leave, so we'll Logan, leave it at that. <laughs> Logan's cool. I like the idea of someone who's kind of gotten to the point where, looking back at all that he's fought for, he kind of sees it as it, they were mis- either what was the point or they were mistakes. I was on the wrong side, and how mm-hmm. he wants mm-hmm. 
like he doesn't really want to be the person he used to be anymore. I think that's a, one of his most interesting yeah. characteristics that and the, when the bloody nine takes over, not sure if that's like, yeah. What is that? Is that um, like magical? Is that supernatural or is that just a rage? I don't know. So he's been called the bloody nine in the past. Like that's not the first time right, we right. saw, we, we knew that the bloody nine was some kind of moniker but yeah, then at the end, an, uh, like a persona. Yeah, at the end, he's not Logan anymore. He is the Bloody Nine, and that's yeah what the text calls him. And then he's basically unstoppable. Yeah, which I don't think it. I don't think it said like he was impervious to wounds, but he just didn't really feel pain anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which it could still be magical, but it wasn't like he got magical resistances or anything like that. What's your take on his character in general? Because, uh, you know, he starts off, he's, he's the first chapter and he falls off the cliff and it talks about his family who's been killed and it builds up this real sympathetic guy, right? Like this is the hero we want to cheer for. And he's, you know, he, yeah. he's an underdog and he's trying to get back to, you know, some sort some sort of normalcy. He's trying to get revenge on this Bethod guy who's taken over the North and irresponsibly letting the Shenka take over. But then it starts to kind of talk about his backstory more and it kind of makes you question. Right. Right. Like we don't know much about his backstory yet, but we do know that there's a lot of people who really don't like him. Mm -hmm. Even from uh, his own crew, like the uh, black, what's the guy's name? Black Dow. And yeah, all those guys, he's basically defeated most of them in single Mm -hmm. combat and, let most of them live. So they there's some definite there's some respect for Logan. For there's sure. respect, but also there's some like disdain mm-hmm. for him. I I the what I see it is I feel like he's gonna be a character where he regrets a lot of what he's done and a lot of what he's done is going to come back to kind of bite him. Like I feel like his art going forward is going to be facing his past over and over. I I liked him. I mean, I liked, like I said, I liked the idea of someone who has, was, I mean, the whole idea of someone who is like this kind of legendary fighter who is now past his prime and also not in the same headspace as he was back then. So he like, not only is he a little past his prime, but he wouldn't even want to like really fight as much, even if he were mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. able to, not that he's like incapacitated at all, as we see throughout the series, but you know. He's not the young Logan Nine Fingers anymore. When he's hanging out at the library, he's talking, I believe he's talking to Kwai and he's kind of regaling on his backstory. You know, I've been in seven different campaigns and fought in pitched battles and endless skirmishes and in all types of weather. And and he talks about when he's looking through weapons with Baez, he's, uh, he says something like, you know, I always try to avoid the sharp ends. Like that's obviously... The thing yeah. to do but they seem to find me and he's got this very uh irreverent attitude towards battle because he's just seen it so much yeah and i know i've heard a lot of i like haven't re- read into spoilers but i've heard other people in the discord talk about him and not like him so i feel like something's going to happen and make i don't know if it's going to be some past revelation to make me really dislike him or what um but I, I like the whole idea of a character with lots of regrets and how the idea that the regret could be 
um, like the focal point of his story mm-hmm. arc. Mm-hmm. I think one of the strongest things, I mean, I've really talked about Abercrombie. Another one of the strongest yeah. things he does is his abilities to subvert tropes in awesome ways. Like we have these characters, you've got the clever inquisitor, but wait, he's a torturer and he, you know, does terrible things, but we, we still like him. And he has this mm-hmm. backstory of he used to be the hero and he had this terrible yeah. stuff happened. So he's sympathetic, but at the same time, you know, gosh, what a terrible person, but we're inside his head. So we can't help but like him. And then we've got Logan, who's like the hero and he's been mistreated so much, but he's got this bloody backstory and he's this unstoppable warrior. And, and then you've got Giselle, Giselle, you know, maybe doesn't have quite as many dimensions, but he's also this pompous nobleman, but maybe he's got something a little bit stronger underneath all of that. And where, where does he go? So I think all of, like we say, all of Abercrombie's mm-hmm. characters, that's, that's really what gets me. Going back to Glockta again, and going back to more A Song of Ice and Fire references, he, um, he's kind of like Jamie and Tyrion matched together where he has this history of being this glorified fighter and like better than anyone else and up for this challenge always. I, I don't know, maybe a little more heroic than Jamie, but, um, but he's also super intelligent. Not that Jamie wasn't, but he's got the cunning mind of Tyrion and now he's in... Mm-hmm. like a more the physical circumstances more aligned with Tyrion as well so he has both of these mindsets and it's so uh, it's so cool to see him like think back to how he was when he was this like like the hero like you said he, he like he used to kind of fulfill that archetype but now he's in a different role one final note on Glockta for me I always love the disability representation with him yeah. because I'm disabled. And a lot of the things that go through his mind are like so true, but like in a terrible way, but also like he Abercrombie did a really good job of kind of like nailing just like the mindset of being disabled. And I mean, I'm not that bad off in terms of my mental and emotional <laughs> state but yeah. like those are thoughts that are pretty natural and that that come up when you're in those circumstances so no i'm not chopping bits off of people to cope <laughs> but yes he does a really good job of of just kind of nailing that and it's a it's a representation that doesn't come up enough and so i always really like it when i see it yeah i think he nails the just really good job of conveying that frustration yeah yeah really good exactly Baez, I really like as a character as well. I like the, I like how every, like you said, like Logan is inter- introduced as this, like he could possibly be the hero. And then you realize, oh, he's someone who's done a, like some terrible things in his past. And he's like recently, seemingly recently just decided to turn sides from the guy who could be the, the main antagonist to the whole story. So all his like heroic deeds were in the name of this guy who is an antagonist now. And Baez, when he's introduced, he's like, oh, he's the wizard. And he's like funny, you know, he's, he's kind of a lot, like he's got his own comic relief there. Yeah. But also you get more and more hints that he has a, a bit of a temper and like an irrational way. He's like that guy. Oh yeah. He's like that. I feel like there's this archetype of the person who's like super happy-go-lucky, like really fun to be around. And then on like snap of the fingers, he's all of a sudden angry at everyone and yelling and like enraged. And that's pretty scary from um, Baez where you don't see it a ton, but like when he, at the end, when he just turned everyone to mist, it was like, okay, like he's funny, but also like, when's he going to snap? You don't really yeah, know. <laughs> don't cross him. Do not yeah. cross Baez. <laughs> yeah. And like, he seemed to have a little more patience with the, the council. Like 
at the dinner where the councilman's like, well, if you really are Baez, like show us some magic. And all he did was make his chair disappear. Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, yeah, don't, don't get on his bad side. Don't push him past the limit of his patience. Once you get further into the series, we'll definitely have to discuss uh, your thoughts on some of these characters. If you want a a further discussion, then go check out our, our friends at Friends Talking Fantasy another podcast that we've collabed with a few times. They're doing some in-depth discussions of characters from First Law. They're, they're big fans. And I believe theirs are more spoiler-filled than ours, you know, constrained to one book so far. But we will get further in. Some side characters I thought were cool were, um, who is the, the humongous guy with runes tattooed on his arm? Oh, who, Fenris? Yeah, Fenris. yeah. He's awesome. I was really hoping for a battle with him and this. The blue guy? Yeah. Yeah, he was awesome. Well, come on. He came in and said, duel me. We've got to have a battle eventually, right? That's what you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like cutting his arm and it's bleeding, but there's no cut uh, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So he's he's obviously part of kind of the Betha North conflict. Mm. There's, there's several different conflicts, which really kind of makes yeah. the book click along so quickly. It makes it click along quickly, but also it makes it so nothing really big happens because it's little bits of all these different conflicts, mm-hmm. which again, for me, I enjoyed it, all of it. And I'm excited to see where all those little bits, what they turn into in the next book and the one after. Okay. couple quick hitters on some of our minor characters, West, Dogman, and Pharaoh. I think we talked about each of them briefly. Yeah. West was... Awesome. Not super dynamic, kind of awesome, but like somewhat one-dimensional until the end. Yeah, he was awesome until the end. And then you're like, dang, I don't like you. Yeah, yeah. he's like the guy, again, the underdog we're supposed to cheer for, the commoner yeah. who's, and he's like pretty responsible and he seems to be competent compared to everyone else in the union. And then he yeah. goes and beats his sister. Yeah, I wonder if he'll become, he'll have a bigger role now that he's going to the north without Jazal. like before like it'd be him and Jazal, right and Jazal would have the main point of view but it seems mm-hmm. like west will probably have his own um plot to go through to showcase the war in england right right pharaoh i thought was really cool like again a really different perspective um different culture um different setting and i like the idea of her just wanting to get away and being hunted for some reason, not really quite sure yet. Mm-hmm. Probably to do with her abilities to heal. Okay, okay. I love how she, the, yeah, the culture is so distinct down to how she yeah. like calls everyone the, the stupid pinks. Yeah, there. and yeah. she's colorblind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Which I think that was the hint for her being, like having something to do with demons or something. I can't remember, honestly. Well, there was some, I mean, Yulwe, the mage down there, mm-hmm. right? Like she was, you know, mage, obviously Baez, also a mage. There's some yeah. connections, some communication between the mages. Which maybe that's how he was able to track her through the water. Or maybe he's just a wizard, so he can track her well. It's cool to see him fight the the eaters that were chasing her as well. I, th- I thought it was really funny when Logan was like, hey, you're colorblind. And she's like, yeah. And then he's like, so why do you call me a pink? You know, like, how is he supposed to, how is she supposed to tell what a pink is? I can't remember what her response was to that. They have, they have kind of a good, yeah, the two yeah. uncivilized 
characters, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, then finally, Dogman and the crew, Three Trees, Black Dow, Grim, yeah. Folly the Weakest, Thunderhead. They were in it a whole bunch, but... this I feel like this was another one of those plot lines that meant to serve, like, um, to raise the... To raise the stakes of that conflict, yeah. right? To yeah, raise show the that the North thing and, is important. And to kind of show, like, yeah, this is a lot more... There's a lot more tension here than than um what otherwise you would you might suspect yeah and, I, and i'm still not sure if the shanka thing is like on on the same level as bethod's forces in general like because to them they're like hey we have to go back and even though that under threat of death as you saw from was it folly the weakest what's his name yeah it's like forley folly For- yeah, Pacey yeah. pronounces things a little bit different, I feel like, than the way it's written, but also maybe it's British compared to us Americans. I, yeah. I can't remember, but that was the sad part because he's like, I'll go in because I'm literally uh-huh. the weakest and so I'll be less of a threat and then immediately he's killed. But they thought like the Shankas were a big enough threat to like risk that to go back and warn the people. So. Mm. I'm interested to see where that goes. Which is, uh, you know, obviously setting up Bethod to be less and less of a sympathetic character to us. We right. really dislike him now. Yeah. But also like thinking they're trying to just take back England, which belonged to the Northmen originally mm-hmm. anyways. Like I don't see Bethod's goals right now as being really evil. It's antagonistic to the the empire that most of our characters are from. But I mean- right all they're trying to do is regain lost land. Like they didn't, they don't. Yeah. guess it depends on who's pers- what perspective. Yeah. yeah it seems like uh, it's obviously a perspective theory. I mean, and that's the information that's been presented to me so far, not to say that he's not, whether he's a good or bad guy, but. Mm-hmm. Baez certainly doesn't think much of him. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. But Baez seems to have some ulterior motives. Like, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like someone who would, I, it just seems like he's collecting pieces on a chessboard to, to use for his own goals. His own goals might have, mm. like I could see him being kind of like a utilitarian type of um, character where whatever it takes for the greater good, according to his interpretation of the greater good. And I could see him seeing Logan, Jazal, Pharaoh, and so just them as all dis, uh, disposable um, pawns on a, on a board or something like that. Nice. There's some things, yeah, there's some things you're saying here that are, are interesting, we'll say. So cool. Wait, wait that, till that means the end right of the series. And, or completely oh. wrong. <laughs> it means interesting. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> you will see. Read and find out. Okay, that's a that's a wrap for the plot of the book and covers all the things I wanted to talk about. So let's go into our worst of the best segment. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. 
hopefully oh, you yeah. have something there. I know exactly there. what that yeah. is. Yeah. And it is okay. the very definition of worst of the best. For me, it was in the, in the very beginning, I had to go back and re-listen <laughs> to this part like five times to make sure I understood what was going on. And then we I was have the like, fire spirits thing coming up. Yeah. The fire spirits when Glockta is with Kwai and they wake up in the morning and he says he, he sucks up the fire and tucks it under his tongue or something like that. Uh-huh. And I missed that until it got to the point where he then spat the fire out on the bandits or whoever was right. attacking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, wait, how did he do that? So I went back and listened to it. I was like, he sucked up the fire. And then I went back to the beginning of the book and tried to like, see, like, did this happen at any point before that he sent it? Uh-huh. That he has this like, this like fire magic anywhere. And then he can like spit <laughs> it out. And yeah. <laughs> and then I found out it's never addressed again. This is one of the coolest magic things I've ever seen in a book. And it's just <laughs> never addressed again. That is definitely worse than the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the best things I've ever read and the worst because <laughs> it never happens again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the mods to the first law subreddit is in our discord. And uh, shout out if you want to talk to us more, then hop on our discord. Links are on the episode descriptions and here in the YouTube video. But uh, he was, from my understanding, from uh, from what we've heard, is that Abercrombie started writing the series and put this in here and then took a break and then came back to it. And when he came back, he just like never picked up this plot thread again, but didn't want to write it out at the beginning. So it just went into the book and then it was kind of a lost thing, which that is so I sad. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened exactly, but... Is the, is it is what the, it is. Are all the series over or is he still planning on writing books in this world? Um, so he actually just posted an update today on his recap for his progress in February. And what you have is, the, so the first three are a continuous trilogy of the events that are happening after the blade itself. And then you have three more that are, well, you, they're not a series instead of three more standalone books that take place in the world some years after some new characters, some old characters. And then you have three more books. The third of which wisdom of crowds is coming out later on this year in September. And those books take place like, uh, I'm going to guess like 20 to 30 years after the events of the first law trilogy are concluded. And so I think after that, he's going to write in a different world. He said he started a new book that he's tentatively titled The Devils, and he said it's a new world, kind of a new take on how he does things. So I don't if know if I that, get, uh, yeah, I don't know if First Law is over necessarily, but... If I could uh, get at least a novella, a short story, where they heavily focus on this... The fire spirits? Fire, tongue, spirit, magic, that <laughs> would be amazing. There, He has a lot of short stories as well that kind of take place in between a lot of the... Uh, the standalones and after the first trilogy, but uh, sorry, none of those have. There needs to be another spirits. one. It's one of the coolest <laughs> things I've ever read. Anyways, what was worst of the best for you? Apologies for you, Jake. Okay, so my worst of the best, we kind of touched, we touched on this a little bit. There's no big, like big epic action sequence. There's a couple things. There's the contest, and then there's the sequence with the bloody nine and Baez coming out of the bath and turning people into pink mist. That's basically the the climax of the book. There's no big action scene, which we like to have in our fantasy books, but there are a lot of smaller action sequences where characters are fighting. 
And I really think Abercrombie does, once again, does a really good job with the way he writes action. It just puts you in, right into the scene where the characters are like tumbling around and they're grabbing at roots and they're falling and they're scrabbling for swords and stabbing. And then, you know, people are dropping or coming up behind them, whatever. The, the action moves along so quickly. And it's like you're there inside the person's point of view and seeing it in kind of this like disorganized, chaotic way. And I think he does that because he has some, ba some background in film editing and mm -hmm. that's, that's like the inspiration. For, yeah, yeah. Screenplay. That that's, that's what it feels like. It feels like you're yeah. almost in, in a movie in those parts. So that's some of the best stuff for me. I think that action is so snappy and a great way to write action really makes it exciting. Unfortunately, we didn't see that on a large scale, at least yeah. not in this book. So yeah. Yeah. We'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm really hoping we get more payoff that way because like I said, the characters are amazing. The setting is really cool and there's lots of hints at some um, like cool lore and mythos and world building there. So yeah, hopefully we get some more exciting action and when it comes to plot and combat and stuff like that. Well, I'm excited you finally uh, took me up and started reading Abercrombie. Yeah, um, yeah I'll read. I'll, I'll get ready on uh, before they're hanged once I get through Dead House Gates, which it's been rough so far, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Malazan can, can take a little bit or Malazan as yeah, uh, I, we're supposed to pronounce it, but we're not going to pronounce it that way because no one does. Sorry. Sorry, Stephen Erickson. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Phantology. You can find more at www.phantologybooks.com and you can support the show at patreon.com slash underscore books. Okay. See you later, named men. See you guys. <laughs>